Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. Um, this week, we are talking about part two of our Doge double feature or Doge double feature if you're an internet nerd. Um, and I'll tell you why we call it that in a moment. Last week, we talked about uh, our first selection of uh, animated film for this double feature, a Goofy movie, Disney's 1995 Goofy vehicle, where they did sort of a 90s, uh, late 80s, Saved by the Belly, musical, Goofy family, father, son, connection, road trip butting heads teenager movie uh we talked about it we had a lot of thoughts on it interesting film to discuss and a time machine of the 90s of a sort and today we have one of my all-time favorite features it's no of course uh secret that i am going to recommend this film so it's totally fine to have dissenting opinions uh which i think we might have but 1983's movie rock and rule that is rock and rule it is a it's, it's billed as a musical. It's not really a musical. It's about some music. But it is a post-apocalyptic, anthropomorphic, animal, new wave, post-new wave, post-punk synth um, love letter to the crushed spirit and soul of Generation X. And it started as more of a kid's film. And in production, it morphed into something that really is inappropriate for kids. Um, and I, I just, the fact that this movie is not more known is one of the reasons why I think the world is off to a, a, a worse start. And I think that, um, I don't know what religion to blame for this uh, being obscure, uh, but I blame them. So let's get into the, uh, the nuts and bolts of the plot of this movie uh, right after I introduce us. Of course, I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and uh, comedian and passionate rock and roll apologist and uh, champion. And with us as uh, often, we have Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Oh, I have no witty quips for you this evening. Oh, no witty quips. Well, okay. <laughs> that's okay. We are taking applications, guys. I'm just kidding. Uh, also, to round us out, we have Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? I'm good. I'm a little confused, though. I uh, I thought that this was School of Rock with Jack Black, and you know it it wasn't <laughs> at all. So <laughs> it is it is certainly it is certainly certainly not. Um, I so this movie 
it first off i'm gonna say that this movie is rated pg which is very very inaccurate by contemporary pg standards um this movie would very much it would be P a hard pg-13 very possibly r-rated just for content um if it were released in theaters today uh, I, those of us who love weird cult film from the seventies onward know that the eighties was a time where the rating system was really not, it wasn't as strict, but it also was less uniform. You could have say topless women, if it was in a quote, non-sexual fashion uh, in a PG film, you certainly can't have that anymore. Um, rock and rule is, is one of those films that is caught in that, uh, in that strange middle place where marketed as a kid's film it most certainly was not a children's film uh in any way shape or sense of the word nothing about it uh was kid friendly or um appropriate or even of interest to children i would imagine um the the musicians that were involved there's music fantastic 80s lineup there's music from debbie harry of blondie there is music from lou reed there is music from cheap trick there is music from uh, and vocal work from iggy pop uh and then in the credits they have a performance of a song from earth wind and fire this is this is not for kids in any way, shape, or form. Um, what it is for is for people like me who just lose their mind over post-apocalyptic weird animation bits. Like animated movies are my favorite. I'm just going to throw it out there now. A lot of people might be shocked by that. And animated movies that are unique visions that don't fit molds set out by other films are my other favorite. This is definitely one of those. Now, if it was a live action movie, there's a lot of contemporary films uh, that sort of tried to mix this post-apocalyptic sci-fi, dingy, uh, gritty street culture with music. Um, we on this very podcast have talked about when we talked about um, Albert Pune's Vicious Lips, when we talked uh, along with Verotica by Danzig. Um, this is what I think Vicious Lips really wanted to be and should have been, uh, but you know, you take the cards, you're dealt, and they couldn't do this. This is a Nilvana production. Nilvana is um, a, uh, I b believe they're gone now, unfortunately, but they were a large Canadian animation studio. They did some uh, very well-known and excellent series uh, that made it to the U.S., like Brave Star, one of my favorites about a cybernetic cowboy mashup, sort of a Westworld send-up in a weird way, uh, meets RoboCop. Uh, they also did uh, something we covered during last Christmas season, which was Cosmic Christmas. That was them. And it makes total sense. Uh, we also covered them when we talked about dun, 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 a Star Wars holiday special, because this is the company that is responsible for one of pretty much what's considered the only good thing to come out of a Star Wars holiday special, which is the animated Boba Fett introduction. That's, this is them as well. And you can definitely see sort of their desire to tell these strange stories with cyberpunk uh, cityscapes and all these things. Very stuff that you would expect to see in maybe an early to mid 1980s anime film uh, of the Akira age uh, or, or, or Rojan Z, things like that, instead of something coming out of Canada. But I've babbled a lot about uh, what this film is and isn't, but I haven't really told you the plot of this movie or what it's like to watch it. So the plot of the film is that there is this rock god, uh, aging rock god named Mock, M-O-K, uh, who is looking, he's, he's the magic man, and part of his stage 
persona is magic and doing magic. And he does a lot of things magic-y in this film, like transferring his body to a different place from across the room, passing through walls, causing visions, all sorts of weird things. And we don't really know if those are technological tricks or if they're actual magic, but he has this super powered computer AI system helping him find out how to raise a demon from another dimension, which he wants to do as sort of his concert and all concerts. But he needs the key to do so, which is, you guessed it, a special voice. So he's been traveling all over to find this special voice. Well, of course, it's the last place he looks, because if he uh, looked again, it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense. He already found it. Of course, it's the last place he looked. But he finds it in uh, the character of Angel, whose uh, song or singing voice is played by Debbie Harry. Now, She's also heavily modeled off Debbie Harry. She looks a lot like, in, in more contemporary terms, Biff Naked, a, a musician that I uh, uh, deeply love. Uh, shout out to Biff Naked. If this ever gets back to you, we'd love to have you on. But anyway, Angel is sort of like the sweet member of this band. Um, I don't think we actually ever know what the band's name is. I don't think they even really have a name. Um, but the band is comprised of Angel and then uh, Stretch. Uh, who is their uh, bassist, I believe. And then we have, uh, let's see, I'm pulling a blank on uh, the quote unquote fat one's name. Dizzy, <sighs> is that it? Yes, thank you, Dizzy. The uh, drummer, right? Yes, the drummer. And then Omar, who is the uh, the other lead vocalist next to Angel. And there's sort of some questions. They don't really haven't decided who's the lead vocalist. Um, and there's clearly some tension between Omar or on Omar's part, because he's sort of this, they say apparently the rumor is he was modeled on James Dean. I don't get that at all. It's not an accurate reference to this character. He's much more the post-punk Lou Reed era. Um, but he's sort of like this angry, I refuse to have emotions, even though I'm clearly into Angel and like we have sex in a car and make out points. So it's clear we're a couple, but we don't say we're a couple. And I'm just going to be very like uh, sort of a, I'm going to be a dick. That's the big thing. I'm going to be a dick. Hmm? He's got that uh, that rebel without a cause vibe. Very much, which is, I guess, the James Dean. They were I think going that for. that's the uh, yeah. that, for sure. It's very self-destructive, right? Um, he's a little bit less. I think there's no teen angst that we see. There's anger, but no angst, if that makes sense. Um, but anyway, he uh, sees himself as a lead singer and his songs are mostly done by uh, 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 Cheap Trick. And there's some great ones in there. Born to Raise Hell is super awesome. Uh, and then uh, Angel does more of the Blondie album. In fact, uh, her her main song, I believe, is actually based on an early version of a song that uh, was redone and ended up on Debbie Harry's first, uh, I believe, Blondie album. So uh, anyway, uh, we've got those two. And then there are Dizzy, the drummer, who is like the smart one, uh, and uh, Stretch, the bassist, who is the dumb one uh, and has a car for part of the film. Basically, Mock kidnaps um, Angel and and uh drugs her and forces her to sing her part to raise the demon uh it fails the first time and carnegie hall or carnage hall is destroyed because there's not enough power so they go back to ohm city i believe or ohmville ohm i think it's ohm city uh which is where the movie starts it's where they're all from i don't know why but i get the vibe it's maybe like detroitish um uh, but again 
don't know why uh it's very i don't know where they based it if anywhere it's probably just completely made up unlike um nuke york city which is clearly new york and that's where car carnage hall is but anyway they go back there because that's the only venue is the power plant uh that has enough power to have mock do this whole thing and raise the demon so he ends up doing so and sure enough uh, the band shows up to save Angel, and they send the demon that was spawned using Angel's voice back into the nether realms uh, or other dimension using the harmony of voices between Angel and Omar. Um, there's a lot more in here, but I think the film's only an hour and 17 minutes. Um, that's no shock because this is completely hand animated. It is in my opinion, stunning. The design work and the animation and the smoothness is the kind of thing that you would be shocked to see nowadays. Um, it's not computer assisted. Mock especially, his face is very complicated. He's an aging, skinny, scrawny, Iggy Pop rocker with lots of creases and sort of the old woman face um, that is uh, that, that we get uh, when you get to a certain age after living uh, life, um, I don't know, like lust for life with drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And it's, it's a masterful thing. They, they do a lot of really unique touches in this film, for example, uh, they do a lot of aerial shots and they'll have clouds parting and the clouds are actually pulled cotton balls that are on their, that were filmed over the animation cells. There's a couple of scenes of fog, which were done with, I believe, airbrushing, but also filming actual cigarette smoke. Um, there are, there's a scene in uh, mocks like uh, home garden, which actually has worked into the, uh, the, the hand-drawn and painted, um, flora uh actual plant leaves in there um and it's it's almost indistinguishable because there's such a rich visual world um this movie does start dark uh which is i think probably the casualty of some of the transfers now we were lucky enough to uh, have unearthed unearths video transfer of rock and roll it is now out of print i i super want them to come out or someone to come out with a 4k or at least 2k transfer um it deserves it this is a really unique piece of cinema um but there's a lot of interesting animations techniques that are used here that are very possibly not used anywhere else also there's several scenes where they show what look like computer animation like light waves, things like that. Uh, most of those were actually done with animation and lighting tricks. It's not actually computer assisted, which is really impressive because that's certainly what it looks like. Um, so they really deserve a lot of accolades. Uh, the design, this is one of the themes that uh, tie it with a Goofy movie. Everyone is an anthropomorphized animal. Um, I, when I first saw this film uh, back in the day, I thought they were dogs. Uh, it looked to me as if you had have post-apocalyptic goofy world, and this is what the the result was. Um, they're actually, I believe, rats, um, and I, I they don't mention that in the movie. I don't believe, but it, it can be derived from the fact the original working title of the film was Drats uh, with a Z. Uh, I think that might also have been the intended name of the band, but it never really comes up. Uh, and that was before when it was going to be more kid friendly. The actual story of why it morphed into something uh completely not kid friendly and, and sort of the closest comparison i can think of in this process of going from one thing to the other to this extreme would be what we've mentioned before the super mario brothers film where uh the initial idea from producers was hey 
this is going to be a kid's movie because it's about a video game where a plumber goes through pipes and jumps on colorful creatures that are monsters and rescues a princess from a turtle. Uh, and then it turns into Blade Runner 1.5. Uh, that's this movie, right? It started as Trolls World Tour and it turned into uh, like uh, Murder at the Disco or uh, Murder Rock. So it's, it's just a totally different film. Um, I'm going to stop talking here. There's a lot of a lot of things I could discuss because I've seen this movie countless times. Um, but let's jump right to Greg. Greg, what were you expecting when you saw this or when when you saw me assign this movie? And what do you feel now that you've seen it? Um, well, I was expecting it to be a lot cheaper based on the, the poster. I was ready for this to be just just something put together. I'm thinking that animated Titanic movie with the rapping dog. Um, if you've had the chance to see that gem, hey, I haven't seen that. So um, I'm going to have to track that piece <laughs> of magic down and we could all watch that. That'd be a, a fun piece of shit to try and sit through. Um, but this, I mean, cause I'm, I'm looking at it, $8 million budget, unfortunately 30,000 box office. So not great there, but 8 million, like that's a lot more than I thought would have been put into this. And like you said, I mean, it shows they used, they used every single dollar to make this look, I mean, just otherworldly. Like it's, um, it's, I mean, it's a technical marvel in my opinion. I think that's uh, a great way to put it. Nothing is taken for granted. Every brick has personality. Yeah. Um, like you said about the, the villain, um, mock, uh, like I, I'm thinking Gary Oldman in Braun Stoker's Dracula meets Tim Curry in um, Rocky Horror Picture yes. Show. Like it's, it, I think it def it defies being directly compared to anything. You yeah. have to take two things and kind of mash them up. It's heavy metal meets the secret of Nim. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's wild. Um, Cool I, I love meets it. Phantom I, of Paradise. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I set the bar low enough um, to be jumped, but not so high that it, you know, even if it jumped or I, I, I set the perfect bar, needless to say, and it, <laughs> it I, I enjoyed myself. So, yeah, and I think the short running time helps it because there's not any dull moment even if we know what's going to happen like we know that the band is going to go save her right yeah. we know that we're going to see a big finale at a show like these things are just givens given the plot that we're handed yeah. um <clears throat> i mean i think it helped that like you know there's the the plot of the demon that they're trying to pull up and the demon looks really cool it's it looks a, really cool it's a lot of still animate like still shot illustration worked with like morphing animation very i mean this movie is like uh, an 80, it's like a Dio fever dream. Like this is what Ronnie Dio wanted every single Dio music video to look like. Um, like it, it really yeah. is just wild because, and, yeah. Oh no, I'm, I'm sorry. Just um, the, the music as well. Um, mm -hmm. I, this will kind of give away how little I know about music, but I'm sitting here listening to this film and I'm like, oh wow. Like these are some really great original tracks. And then I'm like, like no way no way and then you just brought up like oh it's all these bands and now i see it's on the cover that i'm looking at here um on a different screen and yeah it, they made a good call to not make their own music and to pick really solid bangers i mean and i mean and there there is like a couple of i think it's interesting that they sort of did um they did an interesting thing where they said okay we can't have all new music 
but what if we had music that wasn't exactly released as this track right like here's a, let's take an older debbie harry version of this track um and there is a one of the original tracks is it's got to be my favorite um of of the whole thing is um my name is mock and it, it's you know my name is mock and it's plain to see i'm the greatest thing since world war three like it's just the most lou reed iggy pop dirty dingy wrong self-aggrandizing rock and roll brilliance and the music as you kind of suggested it's very varied right like cheap trick gets the really like angry growly punk tracks on here whereas lou reed gets like the deep voice talky post it's not even po it's pre-new way but like this sort of bowie-esque vibe um i'm gonna have people throwing rocks at me for saying lou reed bowie vibes like but we're all the same they're all this you know similar vibe uh music and where where the music conjures a very specific image at least to us nowadays um and of course blondie uh debbie harry singing um you know she it would probably convince herself she never had like the greatest range but a very recognizable voice um and she's also was very known and still known although you know the life of a rock star will take its toll but being uh like uh, the beauty of the scene at cbgb and it fits the character very well like when you see the design for angel's character which must be the most like stunningly beautiful and beautifully animated furry in history very weird um you know like it's probably good i didn't see this uh when i was super young uh, my life would have taken a very different turn um but it's very Debbie Harry and it makes sense. And you get these awesome outfits as well. Um, she has like, you know, the sort of modest, like X-wing pilot bodysuit for most of the movie. But then like at the end, she's chained up in this very like Raquel Welchy flowing um, uh, sacrifice to King Kong moment when the demons raise. Mock has an incredible amount, like any good rock star, like Lady, he has Lady Gaga's wardrobe essentially. Um, you know, in the in the final scenes, he's in like this skin tight pleather flight suit with goggles. Most of the time, he has like this twin peaked blonde hair. Um, he has big high collars sometimes. He's just wearing like a smoking jacket or kimono robe in some scenes. It's just all over the place. Um, Mandy, what were you expecting from this movie and what did you come away with? Oh man, I think I was expecting something that was more along the lines of a kid's movie or like something that was not so dark. For mm -hmm. some reason, even though it was called Rock and Rule and like it has a fairly dark cover, which is like the artwork that um, we saw before we watched it. Like I wasn't expecting it to just go this dark. Um, yeah. And I also wasn't not expecting, I wasn't expecting either of these to be like really like musical musicals. Um, and it was, I was pleasantly surprised the quality of the music in this, as you've already mentioned. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a good watch. Um, the timing, like the length of the film, I was a little surprised by, and it actually did feel like it was cut down, mm -hmm. um, but that could just be watching it in, um, like the perspective of like current movies that like yeah. literally like don't leave you guessing about anything like mm -hmm. they're often too obvious and they don't leave you with that discomfort of kind of not knowing what's going on like every single second um this one like there were even like 
I think there was like foreshadowing for jokes that happened later. And you're like, what are they talking about? And then like 10 minutes later, like it made sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was, that was kind of a nice difference in watching like an older film. Um, but it also made it feel like it was cut down, like that they had cut things out for time. Kind of. I think they might have as well, for sure. Um, there, this goofy movie had this as well. Um, but they're, this movie had a few years of production and this had a lot of changes in voice cast. Um, I don't know that we touched on it, but last week when we talked about a Goofy movie. Bobby Brown was originally supposed to be the voice, the singing voice of Powerline, but he was cut loose after recording half of the di- half of the songs uh, because of substance abuse issues, which we all are very familiar with uh, in Bobby Brown's career. And um, he actually reworked those tracks that he'd been working on, and they came out on a later Bobby Brown album. This one, uh, they're they're actually on this unearthed set that they put out. There's an entirely different dialogue track with um, the the musical cast doing the voices, uh, which is interesting. Um, they did a good job. I'm glad they stayed with. I'm actually glad they recorded with these voice actors, however, because we get some really strong performances, especially from Mock. I mean his voice voice it's just brilliant um and as you said this is a dark movie um it's not dark in that it's serious to the point of like tears or discomfort it's dark in the fact that the world is dark it's dingy these people are not like good people there's good people there's bad people and there's all sorts of gray areas mock has this great little diatribe he goes on um uh with one of his three um triplet manservants who are like these big actually they're quadruplets these big um you know i don't know what you'd call them uh doormen you know bodyguards um you've got the smart angry scarred bodyguard and then the two dumb ones one of which is super stunted mentally um and he has a scene where he's like but we're not evil right like we're good because he's watching a kid show they're talking about good and evil that kid show by the way uh is it uncle mikey that was a, a living nightmare um that is the most yeah. terrifying animation ever shown on screen i can only imagine people bringing their children to this movie um but yeah, it, it's crazy. And then he's like, there's no, essentially there's no good, there's no evil. Uh, and Mock has these great lines. Uh, everyone kind of has some, real, there's actually, as you said, there's like, they set up jokes that come about later, which it makes sense in a film. You're like, why are you mentioning that? Well, it makes sense in a film, but we so rarely see it in an animated feature because they are so often geared toward children. Children are assumed to have a short uh, attention span they won't remember what happened one second to the next but like when dizzy's being carried off by the dumbest of the uh three like man children uh that mock employs and he's like uh oh come on violence doesn't solve anything and then like he's still not being put down and finally the the roller skating simpleton that's carrying him is like uh and simpleton's probably an inappropriate word to use these days but person who's not that bright but is very kind is carrying him Dizzy's like, I, my hands are lethal weapons. I could paralyze you right now. And he's like, no, you couldn't because violence isn't the answer. Remember? Like, it's just the callbacks that you don't expect. Um, there's some great, great lines. Like I will be quoting this movie now again, because every time I see it, I start quoting it forever. Like when Mock uh, starts to, he attacks Angel briefly when she essentially says he's nothing without her because she's the thing that will actually raise the demon, blah, blah, blah. 
And then we like, he throws her to the ground and we hear just this breaking of stuff, this like classic Johnny Depp hotel destruction moment. And one of his servants opens the door and shines a flashlight and it's like his wig room. And it shows, it circles on him in the dark and his hair is all frazzled. And it's like, she can sing or she can scream, but she still pissed me off. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's wild. Like, I, I don't, I don't really know the, the, the writers of this, um actually didn't have a finished script when production started and they kept putting out new ideas and it just seemed to work uh it may not be original but in its form it's unusual and i I think all the elements came together to be good i really liked the bandmates um dizzy and stretcher are very likable uh angel is the angel of the movie omar is the troubled soul that comes around and Mock is the villain that you absolutely love, even though he's pure evil. And his drugged out dream sequence, where as he, as I said before, he has this like music video of the song, My Name is Mock playing, is, it's so good. I mean, it's just, and it's very Rocky horror. You've got his big lips in the center of the screen, like mouthing everything along. Um, there are so many elements. I was going to say, speaking of some of the good dialogue, I loved um, uh, Omar and Angel when they finally kind of see each other as like romantic interests, kindred spirits, whatever you want to call it. Like, he, like she's like, I just wanted to sing my song or whatever at the beginning. And he's yelling at her and they're yelling. And I think he says something along the lines of like, like, don't you get it? Like, I want everything. And she like kind of looks at him wistfully and you expect her to say like, like, I want to help you or whatever. But her line is like, don't you get it? I want everything too. Yeah. And they're both like, oh, like, okay. And they're like into each other off of this idea of like, they're both like, like they have the drive. star crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's so good. And there's, there's lots of little touches too. that are just brilliant. Like when, um, when mock is, is told uh, by a snitch somewhere that uh, the band is trying to get angel before the show in New York, where the first time he tries to raise this demon, he's like, Oh, I have a better idea than just, you know, killing him or kicking him out. Get me a what's her face. And then we see that uh, Omar finds uh, Angel and Angel is like hanging all over Mock and is like, this is what I want. And he's like, oh God. And he's disgusted and he leaves. And then Mock pulls off the woman's face and she's like this desiccated corpse. And he's like, thanks, what's her face? And like, it's literally the character's name because she wears faces. It's just weird stuff that is i just you wouldn't expect it um it's it's there's a little bit more creativity than one would expect from uh an animated feature of this time frame especially one that seems to have been marketed to children and i'm I'm still harping on the fact that it's rated pg-13 and multiple characters swear they say shit all the time um the the triplet sister who looks just like them cinderella uh is like this very ralph bakshi-esque character uh and if you if you guys have not seen a ralph bakshi film i'm sure we'll talk about them on this podcast but cool world is probably his most well known but there are many fantastic animated filmmaker i'm sure he likes this movie because it's his kind of weirdness and it's very inappropriate but cinderella just like like her brothers roller skates around but has like this she's basically like if harlequin uh harley quinn took like uh six years of hgh at once um that's this character and she takes 
you know, angel to the club. And it's like, and everything is unique. Um, even though we're all familiar with club scenes in a futuristic movie like this, it's a zero gravity club scene. So like the background characters are all dancing at different angles. The screen is turning all the time. Um, we get a lot of sex appeal in it. There's there's breasts and bouncing and muscle men and, uh, and you know, cross-dressing individuals, all sorts of weird things. And the super doped out druggie who's like handing out pills and blunts, um, again, not a PG rating in today's society. You just would not get it. We get um, on-screen drug use in this. Mock smokes uh, what appears to be uh, a marijuana cigarette, as well as takes a bump off of his cocaine ring uh, and, and then goes on a weird trip. Like, there's just all sorts of stuff that's inappropriate. It's definitely, and Greg, you actually mentioned before we started recording, there are a couple of people that did work on the 1981 heavy metal feature that worked on this and it's very apparent that that was an inspiration for this movie and i think that you could even call them sister films because where heavy metal is this sort of trippy anthology rock and rule is what would happen if you took one and decided to develop it into a feature length um it's sort of the heart of what and i'm a huge heavy metal magazine fan and have been forever uh and i think that it's at its best when it's not simply blatant sex, which is what a lot of people think it is. Um, it's not just blatant violence or just bizarre fantasy or science fiction stories. It's all three thrown in a blender. And that's what this is. Um, and none of it ever crosses the line of being like extreme violence or extreme sex or um, extreme anything, but it's it, it touches all of them inappropriately, <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, I did. I did want to pull it back to Cinderella. Um, I loved that character. I think that that mm -hmm. was really what sold this movie to me. Um, we talked about the comparisons to this in a Goofy movie, where when we talked about a Goofy movie, we talked about there was a lot of kind of like, you know, for lack of a better term, fat jokes, where the punchline mm -hmm. was, "Oh, this person's different looking or large or whatever." Cinderella like was a was a larger woman who was definitely like the center of attention like all yeah. everyone at the club was into her mm -hmm. um she was just like absolutely like portrayed as like kind of fun but not like in a she wasn't stupid she no. was just she was just a very lovable fun person and again she was like out there like like as soon as they get in the club, oh, here's my song and it just showed her as kind of like she's the sex appeal of the club. Everyone knows her mm -hmm. and I thought she's that got was someone dancing with her right away immediately. She, yeah. She introduces Angel to the, the players at the club. Um, yeah, I agree. Like a very uh, it's and it started to build the mocks three like manservants uh, who are the brothers of Cinderella. The what one are they? in the, the middle, the, the roller skating schlepper brothers. I pulled that up. Yes. The roller skating schlepper brothers. They are the middle one sort of gets lost in the in the shuffle, but it's, I really liked when I first saw this and every time I see this movie, they actually are characters that are background characters that actually get growth. They actually have key components in the plot and they're not forgotten about. They actually are drivers of the plot uh, or at least tools of the plot in many instances. And this Cinderella character, when she comes in, she actually helps to develop them more as well, simply by existing. We learn that they're very protective of her sister and her sister, and their sister is a nice person. And so when we see the younger 
uh, or the mentally younger of the brothers start to feel like what they're doing is wrong uh, and ultimately self-sacrificing himself, spoiler alert, still worth watching, uh, it makes sense. It's not out of left field. All of these things make it feel as though this is believable, which is crazy to say when you're talking about a movie about a musician raising a demon in the middle of uh, a power plant concert. Um, yeah, so something else I wanted to mention as well about this is that I think I mentioned it, this movie's out of print. Um, see it any way you can but let's let's get this movie more in the main uh in the mainstream so it can actually get the release because as you said greg it was it had about an eight million dollar budget and usually that's inflated and also includes all the marketing and stuff but again nilvana especially in the states it was it's canadian funded uh by the government as well partly and which again uh, the U.S. is so behind on government funding for the arts. If they, if we thought that they would fund anything that had animated with any sort of drug use, even if it's not even part of the core plot or with the main characters, never happen. Uh, but it, they never really get the prominence they deserve when they succeed here in the States. And the States is really the driver of what everyone else remembers for the most part, except for select regional things. So we need to bring this movie out. This is one of those movies that I've always tried to champion and I want listeners to seek it out. Rock and Rule, it's often written with an ampersand for the and, 1983. Uh, it had been in production for a few years. So you sometimes see it as 1981, 1984, 1982, et cetera. Check this movie out. Find it wherever you can. Um, send an email to uh, places like Unearthed, uh, Unearthed Films, Friend of the Pod, um, to, to try and get a new re-release of this. And actually, they are Friends of the Pod. That's not just me blowing smoke. Um, I, I have been told. So <laughs> that's, that's a real one. Uh, yeah, as far as I know, Nick Cage is also Friend of the Pod. Prove otherwise. So uh, yeah, give this film a try. Um, I'm just going to wrap it up with the recommendation. Of course, I've already said at the onset that I recommend this movie. I really love this movie. I think it's intelligent. Um, it doesn't, it's one of those movies that no, it doesn't have to be an original plot. It just has to be presented in an interesting, creative amalgamation uh, of ways. Plus, as Greg mentioned, the technical aspect of the animation, if you like animated features for animation, for what they can do that a live action film is often hindered in, watch this. If you are an animator, watch this movie because Nelvana uh, often, and especially in this production, was not afraid to try new things. That's something Disney has uh, done for, for decades as well, trying new things. Whereas Disney became huge and was able to afford new technologies to try different things. The animators in Rock and Rule, they use new technologies, but they use good old fashioned ingenuity to make some of these incredible shots. Uh, and we're talking shots for things that are really, it's a scene, like the scene in the garden where Mock uh, essentially abducts Angel. It didn't have to be in the garden. They could have done it in the living room, but they did it in a garden and they made the garden special. And it really adds something extra to this movie that um, elevates it to a level that I, I think deserves recognition and to be loved. Um, but again, not a kid's movie. So I think that was a big part of why they didn't make a lot of money. Mandy, would you recommend Rock and Rule? And if so, why and to who? Oh, yeah, I'd recommend this. This is a fun time. Weird, weird fun time. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, um, if you get a soft spot for or like an interest in like classic, what we now call classic rock. Uh, That's right. 
um like uh that era like this is definitely a gem of that era of um animation as we've said so if you enjoyed like i don't know like the hobbit something like when yeah. you were younger it's kind of like along that line i'm trying to think of the other one like i'm drawing a blank it's getting also, late it's like... here as we record but <laughs> my brain is shutting down but yeah you just remember it's just very much in the vein of that early 80s animation style or like late 70s animation style um it, not one that obviously when when north american animation wasn't just trying to copy um the burgeoning uh japanese and korean uh animation styles right like before anime became very dominant and as it deserves it's excellently done in many cases um and has has changed our entire culture in many ways um but there was this time period where uh north american animation canadian american etc hadn't yet seen the marketing potential of that animation style and sort of tried to copy and usurp it or outsourced it. Um, they actually were doing things based on their own vision and that really has something special. And I think that's what you're talking about with that sort of early mid eighties flair. Greg, would you recommend rock and rule? And if so, why and to who? Uh, yeah, um, I would of course recommend it to all the young listeners, um, ages five and under preferably it's <laughs> a PG film as we've discussed, but, um, more seriously. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is really a, f a film lovers film. Um, so I will put that little caveat for what it's worth of I, if, if you just kind of go to the movies infrequently and you, you know, you enjoy movies, generally speaking, I don't know if you would love this, but if you're really into film, like I, th I think that this will this will impress you. This will really show something off. It's unlike anything else. Um, if you spend your time wishing Don Bluth did more drugs and made weirder films, here's something for you. Um, I'm thinking about the the novel Space Opera by Catherine M. Valente. Yeah, Valente um, gave me a lot of those vibes of just kind of aging rockers. It had this '80s aesthetic. It's dark. It's moody. I mean, if you liked heavy metal, we talked about that. Like. I mean, it's it's just a very unique and fun movie. Um, so yeah, I would I would wholly recommend it. Excellent, very very good. And I actually think I agree. I think it's one of those movies, as you said, a film person's movie. If you're a casual moviegoer, and I don't think we have a lot of listeners that are, but hey, you're welcome. Uh, I hope we've introduced you to some interesting things. But you might enjoy this movie. But if you're the film person who likes uniqueness, interesting productions, difference in their film and unique things, as Greg said, something that stands on its own without a lot to compare it directly to, then you're, it's probably going to scratch an itch that you didn't realize you had, and you're actually going to love it and become as obsessed as I am with it. Um, Greg, you mentioned Don Bluth, of course, things like Rockadoodle, uh, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, things like that. I think that's a good comparison. Um, I also think Bill Plimpton, uh, who is has animated several features of his own. Um, I think most mainstream audiences might recognize his work most from the Simpsons couch gags where they're hand animated um, and oftentimes really sort of dark and weird. Those are Bill Plimpton, he usually signs at the end. Um, his his films, watch them uh, and you'll if you like this. And also uh, work of like the, the French uh, animation era of like um, Time Traveler or Fantastic Planet. Those are, are also in line with heavy metal, but also this where they have really unique 
animation, storytelling, not stuff we normally see done with animation, but you, it'll scratch a similar itch. But and Rock and you, mm-hmm. oh, so I, and you know what? The I, I think the one thing to point out is the plot was really comprehensive. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna get too lost. I don't think it's a trippy film, but it's not something that you can't swallow down if you're not used to you know something a little more out there sure like it we, gave me a very wizards vibe yes yeah. which is ralph, very... ralph Bakshi. yeah one of yep uh and and i and i agree and it did to me too i think that that film and this film are would be a fantastic double feature um although you might want to pair it with a goofy movie just to get that that attitude up afterward um We'll wrap this up. As always, guys, thank you so much for being a part of the Colton Classic podcast experience. Leave us reviews wherever you get your podcast, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcatcher, wherever you get them. It helps people find us. And also, guys, if you want to send us anything, recommendations, requests, hate mail, send it to coltonclassicpodcast at gmail.com uh, or direct message us, slip into the DMs in our Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Colton Classic Podcast, uh, and catch us on YouTube. I will actually be updating the videos in the future, so look for that. You can see our pretty smiling faces. And we really appreciate you to play us out, as always, is Chud with All About Evil. And we will catch you next week with a new double feature. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.